Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash, making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no Welcome to Escape in Society, Episode 3, Movies. I'm Gumby. I'm Teresa. And movies might seem like kind of a weird thing to talk about for like a podcast that's called Escape in Society, because movies seem so embedded in society. You think of like all this propaganda in the movies, you think of actors that are getting paid huge sums of money and then are like getting mad and wanting to get paid more money. Um, it just seems like a really superficial thing, and it's got such a bad rap. Um... You know, you think of people that are buying the bigger movie screen and um, that are really wrapped up in society being addicted to movie watching. So, movies is something that plays a part in our life, like living out of a van. Um, I've always liked watching movies. My mom and I, when I was younger, we used to go to the movies, and when I say younger, I mean like in my 20s, and uh, we'd smoke some weed in my truck before we went in. And we'd have to figure out, like, who was straight enough to, like, talk to the person to get the tickets. Because, like, the other one would be cracking up too much and just kind of trying to follow the the other person's lead. Um, But we'd go in there and it became kind of a competition to see how much stuff we could sneak in. Because the food was overpriced and it tasted like crap. And we figured it was, you know, rather than just get exploited for our money, you know, they have all these rules. You can't bring in food, so you got to buy this crap that they're charging high prices for. We just wouldn't do it. We'd sneak in food. And at first it was just like little snacks and stuff. And kind of the the crowning achievement for my mom, she got this huge pocketbook and snuck in a whole Chinese dinner, like both Chinese dinners, one for me and one for her, in the big styrofoam boxes. And uh, drinks too. She had two sodas in that, that pocketbook. And we got in there and we're just like really proud that we've got this huge Chinese dinner and everybody else is munching their overpriced damn popcorn and uh, then we figure out that we forgot to get chopsticks or silverware so I always remember sitting in that movie I don't remember what movie it was and eating Chinese food with my bare hands and uh, (laughs) my mom and I also really got good you know we go to the matinee this is one of the many times I wasn't working so we could just go to the matinee anytime during the week and that's a cheaper price and then to even get more bang for our buck, we'd figure out what movie's playing when, and then figure out the movie times, and then do the math and say, if we go to movie A, it's gonna end in two hours and 10 minutes, which is right around the time movie B is gonna start. So if we leave that theater and go right into the next theater, we get a double feature. Um, So yeah, that's one of the things I really appreciated about my mom and appreciate about her is she was always up for a caper. She was always looking for some way, instead of getting 
ripped off how we can make the system work for us more. And I think that inspired my philosophy a lot and gave me a lasting love of movies. Because when you think about what movies are, um, or rather, like, Teresa and I, like, would you like to say anything about what movies, like, how movies play a part in our life now? Oh, um, well, before I met Gumby, I really did not watch a lot of movies. I watched, um, occasionally a movie, and when I was younger, like, when I was, you know, 10 years or younger, I would typically watch, like, a couple movies over and over again. So now that I've been with Gumby, he's introduced me to so many different movies. I mean, hundreds um, that we've watched over the past couple years. And um, so now, you know, moving into the van, we we wanted to still be able to watch movies occasionally. Um, obviously, it's not the same as sitting in a house with, like, uh, surround sound or whatever. But I think we do a pretty good job. In fact, one of the best movies that we've watched was on the top of the parking deck at a mall. <laughs> and that we was had awesome. we had like our own personal outdoor movie night. Um, so we opened up the van sliding doors and set up our laptop, um, a set of speakers that are like extra from the laptop. And they run on a like a USB charger thing. And we were just using the laptop battery until it died. And we watched a really nice movie and got the cross breezes from up in the parking deck. So that was super fun. And then the other time that we watch movies um, is just like if it's a rainy day. And we anticipate that it's going to be kind of rainy and crappy all day outside. We'll try to at least have one movie that we can watch in the van to just just pass the time and and have something you know different to talk about yeah and uh the technology we keep like i mean we may occasionally watch a matinee we i don't think we've ever gone out at night to pay the extra price to see a movie but if something's new out and it's just we're in the mood for it we'll do that especially if we're hanging out with our mom she likes to watch movies um but we either borrow movies from people or go to the library. The library is a huge resource. You're going to hear us talk about the library over and over because we just do so much with the libraries. Um, so, yeah, we'll rent a movie. You can rent, like, ten movies and um, watch it on one of our laptops. And we charge up the laptops to 100% battery, and we found that each laptop will play about one whole movie. Um, so we go to the library, charge it up. I got my laptop for trading beer I found in a dumpster, and Teresa's had her laptop for, like, a really long time. <laughs> and we got this little pig charger that we also found in a dumpster. So we charge that up, and that, like, plugs into... Where'd we get those speakers? Oh, um, my dad had them, but they were just, like, some kind of chintzy computer speakers, but they work for us. Yeah, so we watched a little laptop, and we got surround sound, and it's pretty awesome. Like, I had a big 42-inch... Uh, on TV before we left our house <clears throat> and I liked watching movies on that but I don't find myself really missing it watching it on the laptop now um, so one of the things I think about with movies is underneath all the hype and superficiality there's a story being told and that's what I like about movies I think stories are part of being a human being um, 
part of our oldest roots when we were first started tracking and interpreting the land around us and listening to the stories being told to us. Um, and one of the things I find interesting is I think about where were those stories told. And I think about fires. That's where, like, if you have a fire, that's where the stories come out. Stories kind of go with fire. And isn't it interesting that when we go to the movies to be told these stories that we turn out all the lights, we close the curtains, we get it real dark, and again, we're looking at this illuminating, flickering image. I wonder if, like, movie watching is sort of wired into us in a way. But not the movie watching so much as the stories. And Daniel Quinn, he's another guy that I bring up a lot because I love his, his books. Um, he's got this great quote um, in one of his books where he says, There's nothing fundamentally wrong with people. Given a story to an act that puts them in accord with the world, they will live in accord with the world. But given a story to an act that puts them at odds with the world, as yours does, they will live at odds with the world. Given a story to an act in which they are the lords of the world, they will act like lords of the world. And given a story to an act in which the world is a foe to be conquered, they will conquer it like a foe. And one day, inevitably, their foe will lay bleeding to death at their feet. So I think about that story that we're enacting. And movies are a really awesome, like, reflection. That's the story we're living. These are the stories that, like, attract us and that kind of help us shape our worlds, like, reflect our values to us. And what do we find in those stories? Um, I see a lot of, well, let's, let me think about the, the negative commentary first. Um, we just watched this movie, gosh, what was it? Oh, the, uh, the Cloverfield Paradox. And I love the Cloverfield movies, but in this third one, which I also liked, there was this premise where the world has run out of power and they're trying to create energy. And there's so many movies that imply that humanity in the future gets itself into this corner and it's got to find an alternative source of fuel. It's never brought up that people could live in a different way where they, they wouldn't need that energy. That's just out of the movie. Um, and that's a neat commentary on us that we don't even think about like finding a different way to live. Um, and Manifest Destiny, how... Um, any culture will develop. You see this in science fiction a lot. Like, every culture is on its way to being a technologically oriented culture. So there's a lot of stories in there that I think are are interesting. And propaganda, like when they first came out with movies, I was reading up on this, that they uh, were scared of them, kind of. They thought this propaganda would just change everything, change people's minds. And so the censorship was really tight because they were afraid it would just create chaos if they didn't um, really pay attention to the movies coming out. And when you look at the first big movie that came out, Birth of a Nation, we watched that. It's like a four-hour-long movie, and it's definitely propaganda. They've got, like, uh, the Ku Klux Klan, and they're the heroes, and there's this, like, hilarious scene where these black guys are tearing apart a dog, apparently, to eat them. Um... But it's a really well-made movie, like the propaganda and the way they make the movie and the pacing of it and the acting quality. Um, they even use color. Like, this was the first movie, and they went back to black and white. But they would use these weird screens where, like, everything's tinged yellow. And then there's a battle, and everything's tinged red. And I was just really blown away by that. 
And the story that uh, I'm talking about that we're enacting, another thing that I see in movies over and over is protecting the status quo. Like, um, think of any superhero movie and think about the villain. Like, the villain so often is somebody that makes a really, like, uh, poignant commentary on society about how it doesn't work and tries to do something usually pretty crazy, violent. I'm not saying it's, like, something that's easy to support, but I do always, like, find it interesting that the villain, it's always the bad guy that's trying to make a drastic change, that's trying to stop society, like, immediately. The superhero rushes in, stops the villain, and we all cheer the hero. He's protected things, so we can keep on, the highways keep moving, the factories keep producing... And there's usually some kind of undertone, like some kind of comment somewhere in there that amounts to everybody shrugs and like, the world's not perfect, but it's the best we've got. The villains stop, the hero's the hero, and we just all keep doing what we're doing. Um, I think that's a really potent piece of propaganda in our movies, that we see that over and over, you know, like the status quo must be protected. Superman's going to protect it. Captain America is going to protect it. Whoever your favorite superhero is, and you've got a crap load to choose from, somebody probably speaks to you on some level, and whoever they are, they're protecting the status quo. So there's that level of brainwashing. Um, one of my favorite examples of that is the Dark Knight. Uh, you know, Batman's up against, like, one of the best, if not the best Joker ever, Heath Ledger. And one of the things I think we all really love about that Joker is that he kind of makes sense. And he's got this great quote where he's talking to Harvey Dent, Two-Face. He's in the hospital and he says, Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. The mob has plans. The cop has plans. Gordon's got plans. You know, they're schemers. Schemers trying to control their little worlds. I'm not a schemer. I try to show the schemers how pathetic their attempts to control things really are. So when I say, ah, come here. When I say that you and your girlfriend was nothing personal, you know that I'm telling the truth. It's the schemers that put you where you are. You were a schemer. You had plans, and look where that got you. I just did what I do best. I took your little plan, and I turned it on itself. Look what I did to the city with a few drums of gas and a couple of bullets. Hmm? You know? You know what I've noticed? Nobody panics when things go according to plan, even if the plan is horrifying. If tomorrow I tell the press that, like, a gangbanger will get shot or a truckload of soldiers will be blown up, nobody panics because it's all part of the plan. But when I say that one little old mayor will die, well, then everybody loses their minds. Introduce a little anarchy. Upset the established order. And everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos? It's fair. So... I think a lot of the quotes like that make us cheer for the Joker, even though in the end Batman wins. He protects the status quo. The city keeps going. Maybe it's a little less crime, and let's not even get into how we define crime. But um, I don't agree with everything the Joker said in there, but the part that stands out with me that I really love is he talks about that part of the plan. Nobody panics if a truckload of soldiers dies. Gangbanger gets shot. It's all part of the plan. One leader, one politician, and we all lose our minds. We all acknowledge there's a little bit of truth in that. And I think that's a big part that makes us like that Joker in particular. He's not completely crazy, but he's still got to be stopped because one thing we all believe and 
Dane DeQuinn also talks about this, is civilization must keep going even if it destroys everything we know and love. One of the bottom lines that we're taught since we start going to school is civilization has to keep going. We can't stop. Um, but yeah, I'm going off on a tangent about all this uh, movie philosophy stuff, and I one of the things about living out of a van and not working is we've got a lot of time to think time time to think about stuff. Um, Teresa, do you have any like anything to say to any of that before we start talking about some of our favorite movies? I don't. And another thing I find really interesting is this rash of apocalypse fantasies. There's so many movies about the end of the world. The Terminator, The Matrix, um, uh, Mad Max. Uh, just movie after movie about the world ending. And it's almost like we have this lust. Like we're so sick of ourselves, we're waiting for something. The machines to rise, the zombies to come, zombie apocalypse. Something to stop us, a meteor, an earthquake, the earth going crazy. We love these movies. And I think there's this really self-loathing part of our love for these movies. The apocalypse fantasy is just a huge part of our culture. We want to be stopped, and we don't know how to do it. And we want something to come in and stop us. And it's not going to be Superman. He protects the status quo. It's got to be something preferably completely alien or just, yeah, something very non-human. The dead walking the earth. Um... But Teresa and I, we came up with some of our favorite, I guess, anti-establishment movies. I can't say Escaping Society movies, because not all of them are about Escaping Society, but a lot of them are really interesting commentaries on um, our society. So, Teresa, do you want to go first? One of sure. yours? Sure. Um, I would say that one of my favorite movies that fall into this category is Into the Wild, and I think it came out shortly after I graduated from college, and the movie's about this guy that graduated from college, and everybody was expecting him to, you know, go the path, whatever, get a job, you know, contribute to society, etc., and he just wanted to, like, have an adventure. He wanted to live his life, so he, like, gave away all his money. He, like, tore up his driver's license and like left his car in this wash in the desert or something and he just started wandering and whether it was um going up to Alaska which is what he really wanted to do or working on a farm or like hanging out with this old dude that's like teaching him how to do leather work he enjoyed every experience of that time and I felt like man I wish someone would have said Teresa, do you know that that's an option? Because I would have definitely waited to go to college, and I might not have even gone if I knew that I could have just lived my life, and I didn't have to be a producer. In other words, I didn't have to go into the job market and get a job. If I wanted to, like, go overseas and, like, go to an orphanage or something like that, I could do that. If I wanted to hitchhike, I could do that. I mean... Obviously, as a female, whatever, I'd want to be safe. But, I mean, but screw that, though. Like, what is life for except to live and experience and enjoy? And if that's having adventures, then this is the movie for you. And I just really, like, I just really liked this movie. This is one of those movies that I, um, I actually bought this movie. I, I owned, like, two DVDs my whole life. And this was one of them. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I think that's a great number one movie. Um, that movie really spoke to me. I took off to go to Alaska hitchhiking, and this guy, uh, Into the Wild, Alexander Supertramp, he did it like, I think it was two years before I did it. And I remember before I took off, one of my friends said, oh man, I just saw this story on 2020 about this dude. And he loosely described this outline that I didn't think about until like that movie came out. And I'm like, holy crap, this is the guy he was talking about. And uh, yeah, it was just so cool that he took off hitchhiking. He felt pulled not just to take off hitchhiking, but to go to Alaska. I ended up getting a job on a fishing boat. He went out into the wilderness and of course didn't come back. Um, but yeah, watching some of those scenes in that movie, it really spoke to me and reminded me what that was like, just that feeling of putting on that backpack and yeah, you're going. My number one movie, um, anti-establishment movie, is Star Wars. I love the analogy of Star Wars. Like, when you think about, in our world, who's the evil empire and who's the rebel alliance, like, it's, it's hilarious because we're the evil empire. I mean, we're definitely the, the empire spreading all over the globe. All other cultures must come under our umbrella. And when I say we, I'm not necessarily talking about America. I'm not necessarily not talking about America. When I say our culture, I usually mean like the way the whole world lives now. Um, Daniel Quinn says, you can tell the people of our culture if the food's under lock and key. You know, there's a certain way we live, a certain way we do the economy, a certain way, whether you're in China or really anywhere. Um, when there are tribes, we slowly try to bring them into it by, I'm doing my little quotey fingers, helping them. Um, and they become us. They become part of the evil empire. And the Rebel Alliance, it's a terrorist group. You know, we're watching the news every day and like, you know, terrorists, that's one of the worst things you can call somebody. As soon as you call them a terrorist, they're obviously crazy. They have no regard for human life, unlike us, of course, that, you know, we protect human life every chance we get and never kill anybody for any reason, for a bad reason anyway. Um, and I just, yeah, Star Wars, I think, I love it because there's this cool science fiction movie, and when I look at the propaganda, I find the propaganda under Star Wars is actually very anti-establishment. I don't know if that's on purpose or not, but um, yeah, I'm always thinking about you know how I'm fighting the evil empire or want to fight the evil empire, and when I look at my actions, are, am I supporting the evil empire, or am I like trying to support the rebel alliance? Um, so yeah. Star Wars. <laughs> uh, another movie that I have on my list is a movie that Gumby introduced me to, and it was made and released in the 1940s. Um, it was also a book called The Razor's Edge, and they, I think they had a remake of it, but I didn't watch that one. I watched the, like, 1940-whatever, 46 version movie. And it's loosely, it's about this um, World War One vet that he sees like all this stuff during the war and he was from like a like a pretty good background like everybody just expected him to once again just like into the wild like fall into a career and get married and you know live the life of whatever our culture wants us to be but his experiences in the war just kind of changed him and he decided to reject all of that life and he just wanted to loaf um, his term was to to loaf in Paris for a while and this was right before he was about to get married so his fiance is like what do you mean you want to go to Paris and loaf like 
can't you do that like <laughs> like later or <laughs> you know like why do you have to just walk away from all of this now but he was following his path and he was doing it with heart and I feel like that is one of the main reasons why I really enjoyed this movie because not only did he go to Paris and loaf but then he like fell into this bohemian lifestyle and he went and like was like a laborer for a while and then he kind of got talked into going to like the Himalayas um and to study with this holy man and then he became enlightened and eventually found his way back to his friends um who were in this like well-to-do society but they were all like all their lives that were supposed to be perfect were all falling apart and here's this guy that was like they were mocking him you know they're like oh he's throwing away his life what is he doing and then they're turning to him for help and for advice because he actually lived his life and he he explored things within himself and within the world and he was able to speak with them about his experiences whereas they were just kind of jumping on the conveyor belt and going along with everybody else so I just really felt like that was a a cool movie from the 40s of a person who was just rejecting society and going out on their own Gumby yeah I love that movie like it's a black and white movie like Teresa said and uh, I tend to like black and white movies in general um, and I'm reading this book now about the history of hobos and I'm realizing thinking back on that movie it is such an awesome hobo movie um, it's got all the elements of you know this guy who feels like he doesn't need to work and the loafing yeah that's a huge part of it and uh yeah <laughs> I like that movie my number two was Captain Fantastic and Teresa and I watched this together back when we first started dating a couple of years ago um and it stars oh what's that guy Viggo Mortensen and he's this father that like lives in the woods like deep in the woods and he's raising like an obscene amount of kids like six kids or something like that. he's got a big family and uh his wife had just died turns out she killed herself from mental illness um and he's just like teaching his kids all this cool stuff like every night they sit around a campfire they play instruments they have reading time the the oldest boy like the, the movie starts with his rite of passage in the woods where he stalks up and kills a deer with a knife he's just got to get that close to the deer um, you know, that direct contact with his food, sacred hunting, um, has some mountain climbing, has them learning how to knife fight and defend themselves. They're, they just have like this super awesome childhood, but they're isolated. You know, it's just them out there. So anyway, um, the wife goes home, she ends up killing herself. They have to go to her funeral and the movie, the whole premise is kind of them going out into the world and like all the stuff he shielded them from now they're face to face with it and like the struggle of that one of my favorite scenes in it is he goes to stay with his sister for a little bit and she's got her kids that are going to school and she confronts him and says you know i i just you've got your kids out there in the woods they're not being educated and they get into a, a, a debate about what education is and he calls in her kids and asks them like you know some question about history what can you tell me about this this proclamation or whatever and uh the kid can't tell him anything, kind of shrugs, and he says, do you like school? And the kid shrugs again, and he calls in his little kid, much younger than her boy, and says, what can you tell me about that? She launches into this long oratory about exactly what this thing is, and he says, no, no, 
don't just quote stuff. Like, I want to hear how you feel about it. And then she's like, goes into this deeper thing of her personal opinions about every part of this proclamation. And, uh, you know, you could just see her enthusiasm. I love that scene. You know, true education versus the, the conditioning that we call education in our culture that we send our children to school for. Um, as I've heard it said, it's really hard to get a kid to hate learning because we're wired to love learning. But we managed to do it. One of the many achievements we pull off. Um, and another thing I loved about this movie, this is definitely an escaping society, anti-establishment movie, is it didn't quite feel like propaganda. And by that I mean it was open-ended at the end. They showed flaws, like how his kids were kind of angry at him and turned on him for uh, being so isolated. You know, it wasn't just a clean, like, oh, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy. It's like at the end, um, he was a guy that, like, you admired, but at the same time, you, depending on how you feel, you could see how he was, like, maybe making some mistakes with his kids. He wasn't a perfect parent. So Captain Fantastic is my number two right behind Star Wars of favorite anti-establishment movies. Okay. I, um, I had on my list Fight Club, and, you know, we don't talk about Fight Club. Uh, <laughs> but something that uh, Gumby mentioned that he was reading this book, uh, Citizen Hobo, right? Mm-hmm. And part of it talks about how in hobo culture, um, a lot of men were feeling like being tied down in a kind of like suburban setting with the wife and the 2.5 kids or whatever and having to go to work to sustain all of that, the white picket fence and everything, um, it kind of emasculated them. So in Fight Club, it was like, in ways showing how men really do feel like that. Like they need that primal surge of energy of like fighting each other and and like like going up against establishment. So I found that to be a really interesting part of the movie. Gumby, I know you've got a lot to say about Fight Club. Um, Not a lot to say. I I got a lot of quotes that I liked from Fight Club. Uh, I guess what I liked from Fight Club is it was really easy when the buildings fell at the end to kind of feel, like, cheerful about it. There's so many movies that, like, if if civilization starts to fall the piano music starts playing. It starts, everything's in slow motion. It's like everything that can pull your heartstrings that the tragedy is happening, our beloved civilization is falling. At the end of Fight Club, though, there was a different tone. The buildings are crumbling, and, like, it's just kind of like, you know, I think he says he really had a really weird day. It's almost like a funny thing, and I love that, you know, like, like, that it was not villainizing the fall of our civilization because I personally feel like that needs to happen before the next good thing can grow and yeah like uh, listen up maggots you are not special you are not a beautiful or unique snowflake you're the same decaying organic matter as everything else Um, I remember that was in the movie and you know what a great quote just so anti-anthropocentric you know um we're reading Carlos Castaneda, The Teachings of Don Juan, and um, and hell, I used to really be into Buddhism. And over and over, there's this thing, there's this philosophy of like, 
letting go of self-importance. So I love that that reminder, you know, told by in Tyler Durden's style. What, what's his name? Durden. Durden. Tyler Durden. But told in his style, you know, just lose that self-importance. And uh, you know, then he's uh, saying. Warning, if you are reading this, then this warning is for you. Every word you read of this useless fine print is another second off your life. Don't you have other things to do? Is your life so empty that you honestly can't think of a better way to spend these moments? Or are you so impressed with authority that you give respect and credence to all that claim it? Do you read everything you're supposed to read? Do you think everything you're supposed to think? Buy what you're told to want? Get out of your apartment. Meet a member of the opposite sex. Stop the excessive shopping and masturbation. Quit your job. Start a fight. Prove you're alive. If you don't claim your humanity, you will become a statistic. You have been warned. So to me, that was what the fighting was about. It wasn't so much like um, that men are necessarily like innately violent and they need to punch each other in the face. It was more like, wake up. Like we're in this stupor. And if somebody does punch you in the face, maybe that wakes you up. There's that great scene where he like, has that store clerk and takes his wallet and he's got a gun and he says what did you want to do i know you didn't want to work in a, a gas station and the guy's mm -hmm. like i wanted to go to vet school and he's like i'm going to come back in like a month i've got your address i know where you live and if you're not making headway towards that i'm going to shoot you <laughs> you know it's not about the violence it's about the waking up so i think that's an awesome part of the movie and i know we're talking a lot about fight club but there is one more quote and I have not read the book, but finding some of these quotes that are in the book make me want to read it, because if this is that good, and here's the quote, picture yourself planting radishes and seed potatoes on the 15th green of a forgotten golf course. You'll hunt elk through the damp canyon forest around the ruins of Rockefeller Center and dig clams next to the skeleton of the Space Needle leaning at a 45-degree angle. We'll paint the skyscrapers with huge totem faces and goblin tikis, and every evening what's left of mankind will retreat to empty zoos and lock itself in cages as protection against the bears and big cats and wolves that pace and watch us from outside the cage bars at night. <clears throat> you'll wear leather clothes that will last you the rest of your life, and you'll climb the wrist-thick kudzu vines that wrap around the Sears Tower. The air will be so clean you'll see tiny figures pounding corn and laying strips of venison to dry in the empty carpool lane of an abandoned superhighway stretching eight lanes wide and August hot for a thousand miles. That's Chuck Paluniuk. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that name, but apparently he's the guy that wrote Fight Club. And yeah, what a great story. So, <laughs> ah, and after all of that talking, so that was Teresa's number... Three and my number three is also a black and white movie like Razor's Edge. I used to say it's my favorite movie. Maybe I'll still say it's my favorite movie. It's definitely one of my favorites. Um, the Grapes of Wrath. And the book was awesome. Steinbeck's awesome. Pretty much everything Steinbeck writes I like. But the movie with uh, uh, Henry Fonda and Carradine, David Carradine's father, um... God, they just brought those characters to life. Like, the way they delivered those lines, and um, so anti-establishment. Like, it shows... I love at the beginning, where the bank is closing in on the farms, and there's Muley, and he won't leave his farm, and he's hiding. And, uh, 
You know, they're showing flashbacks. Muley's face is glowing by the candlelight as he's talking to Henry Fonda right out of prison and the preacher who's just kind of floating around, doesn't know what to do next yet. And he's saying that this guy showed up in a bulldozer and turned out to be his cousin, so he can't shoot his cousin because the cousin's just taking whatever job he can to feed his family. So he feels like he has to drive the bulldozer to knock down his cousin Muley's farm. And he says, well, I'll shoot the guy who hired you. And he's like, well, that won't do no good. He's just answering to the bank. He's got no say in it. Well, I'll, tr I'll shoot the guy that's at the bank. And, well, he just works for another guy. <laughs> so I love how this movie just talks about the structure we're in, this powerlessness of it. Like, who do you fight eventually? Or Muley. You know, there's nobody to shoot at. Who do you shoot at? It's not their fault. They're answering to somebody else. Or is it everybody's fault? That's the other thing. Then you just start shooting everybody because you didn't have to answer to the guy over you. If you were in the Nazi army, you didn't have to answer to Hitler. Um, yeah, it's just a beautiful movie about that frustration. And then going out to California and the preacher, just finding his calling, um, and just so proud to be a martyr for his people, for the poor people. And at the end, that long uh, thing he tells his mom about... You know, wherever you see a cop beating a guy or a hungry kid, you know, I'll be there when you're looking for me. And then he just takes off to join the fight. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath. I just think that is an awesome story, and that movie depicts it so well. Those characters are really good. They move me every time I see it. Mm-hmm. Mm well, um, the next movie on my list also has to do with a family that's about to lose their farm, and while I don't necessarily agree with uh, being able to own land and have property, I really liked the, uh, the vigilante justice and going against the system, or using the system to go against themselves <laughs> of this movie, and the name of it is Hell or High Water, and it's basically about um, two brothers who decide that they're going to rob banks to pay off the mortgage of this bank that that holds the mortgage for their family land because they don't want to lose it. And it, it was like some fluke that they were about to, um, the bank was about to foreclose on their family land. So the brothers go out and they decide to um, hold up banks to get the money to pay the bank. <laughs> and I just thought that was pretty cool. And uh, Gumby, do you have anything to add about that? I agree. I really like that movie. And uh, who was it? Jeff Bridges was the sheriff. Mm -hmm after it was Chris Pine and another guy that I know I don't know his name but I liked how sympathetic he was too you know like you liked everybody in that movie um, so there was definitely the anti-establishment like everybody kind of felt like yeah the banks are in fact screwing these guys um, and you know it's beautiful this whole thing about stealing from the bank to pay the bank <laughs> i mean you can't help but cheer that on we've all been like screwed over by some kind of faceless corporation and god to have the balls and the opportunity to like take from the guy that doesn't mind screwing you over and like screw him back <laughs> i mean that's a story we can all cheer for and yeah Jeff Bridges' character, I really liked him. He was sympathetic, this old cop about to retire. Um, I felt the same frustration I always feel when I see a character that's just doing his job. I hate that. I don't think that's an excuse for anything, just doing your job. So, you know, I, I would like to think if I see saw somebody robbing a bank that I knew was screwing people over, 
I'd do the right thing. I wouldn't do my job. Um, but still, he's a likable old guy, you know. Great movie. And my number four is The Matrix. Um, yeah, that's an easy movie to, to see the analogies. It's all about that this world isn't real. It's a simulation. And, um, you know, Neo wakes up in this post-apocalyptic world and finds out everything he believed was a lie. It was all just basically a video game, a simulation to keep him asleep because they're using humans, including his own body, as a battery to fuel the machines that have taken over the world. Um, another technology gone wild story. Um, and that's another thing I find interesting, like how many movies out there are warning us about our technology? Why are we so attracted and entertained and, and smitten with movies that warn us about our technology? I feel like there's something in us that kind of sees a danger there. We might not think our smartphones are about to gain intelligence, but hell, we're about to have smart cars, so maybe that's not so far off. But even if they don't gain their own intelligence, aren't they already dangerous? I mean, aren't we already asleep? You know, when you look at people with their smartphones, their Bluetooth, you know, just talking to somebody that's not in their immediate surroundings, paying a cashier as if the cashier's not there and the cashier's not real, the person right in front of them because they're busy talking to somebody somewhere out there in the ether. Um, yeah, the Matrix. It just gets more and more real to me the more technology we develop. We are in the Matrix, and we're getting deeper and deeper that way. And, uh, yeah, like I have said, I love quotes, and one of the ones from the Matrix that I love the most is when Morpheus is telling Neo, the Matrix is a system, Neo. That system is our enemy. But when you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system, and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged, and many of them are so inured, so hopeful, hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. I mean, that quote alone, like... <clears throat> is that not the situation we're in? You know, you, just the average citizen, if I'm, uh, let's say I'm doing something like looking at a dumpster and we get a lot of our food from the dumpster. That's one of those gray legal areas, you know, like, and we'll talk more about that, but any average person could feel like that is a dangerous act, saving something from going to the landfill to be used. So you start realizing that if you start stepping out of the socially approved boundaries of our civilization, this civilization, by the way, that we know for a fact is destroying us, is littering, is polluting the world, is uh, not wholly beneficial, that all the people within that system can be dangerous just because they believe in the system. Um, so, yeah... I've, I've always liked that part of the story, too, that anybody can turn into Agent Smith or one of the agents. Um, and that's kind of how it is. Anybody can make a phone call if you do something that's unusual. If, you're, if you decide you want to be homeless and you go camp out in the woods, you know, it could be one of those carpenters or teachers or businessmen that happens to just feel like, I don't feel safe with this guy camping in the woods. He hasn't done anything. You know, I've got no reason not to feel safe, but this is unusual. He's not paying the bills, 
He doesn't have the power turned on. He doesn't have indoor plumbing. He doesn't, you know, and the list goes on. All the things that make me feel like he's normal and safe like me, no matter what that lifestyle does to the world. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about the Matrix and, and a lot to be learned from the Matrix, like, when I watch it. What do you think about the Matrix, Teresa? <laughs> well, um, I think I watched the first one. And yeah, I, and that's the only one I'm talking about anyway. The, the second and third one kind of go off into the more of a science fiction story. Yeah, and it was it was uh, really revealing. I mean, if there was ever, I don't know, like any doubt that you had that our society was messed up and it was using us kind of like in a way as a as a fuel, as, as a source of... Uh, of fueling itself, the Matrix will definitely uh, influence you in that way. <laughs> the Matrix has you. Yeah. And my next movie was also kind of one of those uh, techno- technology taking over <laughs> movies, The Terminator. And actually, the the second one was the one that I liked the most. Um, and that was because of Sarah Connor being badass. <laughs> and I guess, like, the message that I... Judgment Day. Yeah. The message, uh, Terminator Judgment Day, that I really liked was that even though your fate seems to be sealed, like, even though we're supposed to go along with what society says we need to do, um, like, be producers, go to work, you know buy things, all of this, you can change that, and Sarah Connor, like, fought really hard, and trained her son, and, like, tried to do everything she could to change that future that was supposedly, you know, written for, for her and her family, so I really liked that aspect of the movie. Yeah, Sarah Connor is definitely an escaping society kind of person, and then, again, like you said, you got there, you've got the apocalypse fantasy, you know, the end of the world, and uh, they don't disappoint us. Like, John Connor tries to change things only to discover that the world has to end. And wouldn't we have been disappointed if it had gone any other way? We'd love seeing this fall over and over and over. And then again, the warning about technology, like the machines taken over. Like we just are fascinated with that, too. We're surrounded by technology that increasingly is outside of our understanding. It's more and more complicated, so and it's more and more bizarre. So I think I think that lack of connection, you know, makes us rightly suspicious of the machines. Um, and let's see. Yeah, my my fifth one was powder. Um, there's a really good commentary on society. Powder, who was born an albino and has all these powers, like he's, his mental powers, he's super smart. He's got a photographic memory. Um, and then he's got all these, like, extra powers, you know, with electricity and can move things with his mind. And just about them finding him when he's a teenager and has only read about the world and then having to join this boy's home and... <clears throat> Oh, and that beautiful scene where he's out there in the woods, they're camping, and, you know, this deputy or whatever that's kind of the bad guy in it, the, the bigot, 
he takes some of the boys out and they shoot a deer and Powder walks up and uh, touches the deer and feels the deer dying and then grabs the deputy's wrist and becomes like a conduit of the deer's emotion so the guy, the hunter, can feel the deer dying. Um, man, I love that scene. Like, it's just... And I'm not a vegetarian or anything. I do believe in hunting, and I think my personal belief is, you know, a sustainable relationship for humanity on this planet is direct contact with your food. To feel that you're taking a life, whether it is a deer or whether it's a, a plant. And I don't believe in the whole hierarchy of life, that any life, like, this is here for our food, but this is not. Um, and that's just my personal belief. But I, so I love the direct contact with food, you know, that the hunter felt he's taking something sacred. <clears throat> I was kind of disappointed that his reaction was he put up his gun. He, he could never aim a gun at an animal again. I get it, though, um, the way he learned that. But to me, that was the beginning of sacred hunting. That's when he should have picked up the gun and started hunting. That's when real hunting could have happened. But still, with that said, it was a beautiful scene. And, um, yeah, just over and over the reoccurring message that our, our society is very um, restricted. That somebody like Powder just, you know, that had that, that level of humanity about him um, was just thwarted over and over in that culture. Well, my next movie is uh, a little different. I watched it probably, oh, like over a year ago for the first time. And the movie is Idiocracy. <laughs> and, um... So it's a perfect movie. Yeah, it's, it's basically kind of showing us our, our future. I mean, the future is now. So we've got people that are, um... Special? Special. Well, what do you mean by special? Uh, what do you mean by special? I was I was going with, uh, you've got people who are, like, going to college and having their careers, and they're supposedly, you know, the educated class. And because they're so busy and also because they don't want to have a bunch of kids, they're not populating the earth as much. And then you've got, like, people that are kind of just um, populating the earth like single-handedly <laughs> like keeping it in the family Jerry Springer um, <laughs> and the the premise of idiocracy is just like the future is just a bunch of idiots and everything is dumb and no one knows where anything came <laughs> from there's no like connection to history or anything it's just kind of like derp i loved how like when he <laughs> the guy gets frozen and he's just an average guy and then he wakes up and everybody's so dumb and they got that one scene with the building strapped to the other building <laughs> that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie yeah. what's one of your favorite scenes about the future in that movie um i i think that was the movie that had the toilet like armchair Oh, yeah. And, and the dude was watching the Baiting Channel. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm baiting oh. in here. So, yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not 
for or against like other people having children I personally don't really want to have kids but I also feel like if you're going to have kids like there's a sacredness to that too um so just like you know in Captain Fantastic like maybe that was an extreme but have something to contribute you don't have to like keep making kids just because you're whatever bored or something <laughs> this message brought to you by Planned Parenthood <laughs> no it's not <laughs> <laughs> and yeah god that's a good movie Theocracy and they were spraying what the, the energy drinks instead of water and they yeah. couldn't figure out why there was a famine the president's a wrestler Oh, man. And, oh, one of my favorite things in there was the Big Lots or whatever, the store that had become so freaking huge, like you needed a guide or something. <laughs> you could get lost in it for days. Um, yeah, that's a good warning movie. I mean, just about how stupid we already are. You know, the decisions we're making just, <laughs> they don't make sense. So it's a really funny but also kind of thought-provoking uh, story of a possible future. And my number six is the gods must be crazy. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about this movie. Um, I like that they depicted and very romanticized. Um, you know, they showed the Bushmen, and it looks like just such a perfect beautiful life you know they talk about the lack of violence and the smiles and the contentedness and uh and then they like the opening scene is my favorite part of the movie actually because they contrast you know they're saying and the bushmen live out in the desert and you know they're describing and you know he meets the snake and he thanks him for the for his flesh and <laughs> and then they show society and like you know they're just talking about the ridiculousness of people getting up in the rat race and uh, waiting traffic and blah 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 and it's just a really funny but deep comparison mm -hmm. and and then the movie you know it's a, a really good movie it's funny and it shows the bushman and they show how he's like thinking outside the box like when he gets on the jeep and he's like on the hood driving it backwards you know, he's just not been conditioned to see the world we're conditioned to see. So when he runs into some of the our, the things we're familiar with, he sees them with completely new eyes. Um, I like that. And when I saw the movie, there was a special feature where this guy goes back, like I guess this is like maybe, I don't know, 15 years later after the movie, and he goes to find the Bushmen. And it's almost like an expose. It's showing how it is not um, nice, like this romanticized life he's leading, that actually the people are very poor, that there's a lot of suffering. Um, and that made me so angry because I don't know how romanticized their life was before contact with our culture. But when he's showing them poor, they're wearing fuck, they're, they're wearing <laughs> freaking t-shirts. They're wearing like Kmart pants. I mean, of course they're poor. Our culture got there. You know, they're obviously like in the market with our culture, and that's when there's poor and rich. That's how our culture works. That's how the rich gets rich. For every rich person, there's got to be a whole bunch of poor people to step on. So 
you know, I I didn't buy the expose that these guys are miserable in that, or how should I say that? Maybe they're miserable now, but it's he left out the difference between the Bushman in the movie that was wearing, I don't know, leaves, the stuff that, like, he was making clothes with, everything in their village. That was the whole point of the story, is the first thing they've seen from our civilization was a Coke bottle. Mm-hmm. And they're happy. And I've got no reason to think they're not, because everything I've read from reports with, like, first contact with all these cultures, over and over, does not indicate unhappy people. They've yet to run into a culture where the indigenous people run up with their arms open and say, thank God you got here, you saved us. <laughs> so if he's miserable, I think this guy who did this little expose, the special feature that somebody thought was good enough to stick in this damn movie, they missed the whole point that it's our culture got there. You yeah. know, they're wearing clothes. Now they're poor. Yeah, one of my favorite scenes or parts of the movie was that the the tribesmen, they realized that this Coke bottle was a bad thing. And that's why he was carrying it away from the tribe. He was like, this is causing us to fight. It's, it doesn't make any sense. It's not from here. We got to get it out of here. This is a foreign thing that is no good here. Yeah, and I loved all the uses they found for the Coke bottle. <laughs> yeah. Because when I've done survival trips out in the woods, you know, that's what it's like is you find... And I've heard uh, Cody Lundeen, I think, he's this guy on Dual Survival, he said he always tries to think of three things that he can do with something before he bothers carrying it. So I thought that really rang true. You know, they got this Coke bottle, and it's just this miracle thing. They're, like, doing ten different things with it. Um, well, you got anything more to say about the movies that we've already talked about? Um, Particularly no. that one? Well, I think... Our time, it's probably getting about time to wrap up. So, um, Teresa and I check in with each other. We do this thing. I think I got this from Wilderness Awareness School from a teacher there. I used to take classes. <clears throat> and during one of the classes, um, a way that one of the teachers checked in with the group that I was in was she called it a rose, thorn, and bud. And a rose was something you liked. So, it could be a rose for the week, rose for the day, rose for the class something you liked. A thorn was something challenging, and a bud is something you're looking forward to. Teresa and I do this every night in the van. When we park, find a place to sleep, last thing we do is we do our rose, thorn, and bud. And we tend to do long ones. You know, we talk about all the roses during the day, all the thorns, all the buds. And it's kind of neat because one of the things you find out is it's pretty easy to think of a whole bunch of roses, and sometimes it's hard to think of one thorn. And sometimes it's easy to forget to take stock of your day and realize, like, wow, a lot of good things happen. Not many bad things. Um, so, Teresa, for this week, um, is there anything you'd want to share, like a rose and a thorn? Whew, man. One rose and one thorn? Yeah, one. That's the problem. We are used to having... <laughs> yeah, one highlight of the week. A whole laundry list. Um, I would say that my rose was being in the mountains and enjoying the cool weather and enjoying our campfires and sleeping in our hammocks. Uh, okay, one. Well, that's okay. all inclusive. That is being in the mountains. And you said a thorn? Uh-huh. Um, a thorn is that the climate in North Carolina, and I'm guessing 
pretty much everywhere is getting unbearable especially in the summer months and it's just uh um it makes it so much harder to be outside um and that makes me sad too because then that means that people are having to use their hvac systems their ac just to live in a particular area and that's further polluting the earth which is making it even more unbearable <laughs> for the coming seasons so there yeah so Teresa and I came down from the North Carolina mountains back to the Piedmont of North Carolina in Durham North Carolina um, where we were from before we went to the mountains to return a library book of all things I found that I had a library book that was due and like um, I couldn't renew it it had a no renewal thing so we drove like four hours so I could return this library book um, Rose for me was last night. Uh, we were in Bahama, which is North Durham County, and it was just such a break from the heat. It was breezy and cool and just perfect all night. It was the perfect sleeping weather in a van. Um, the mosquitoes were down. We went to visit my mom, so we didn't have to like camouflage the van. We could put screens all over the van. We got these big screens that we can hang from the sides so the doors could be open and get all the cross breeze and it was a wonderful night. Thorn, related to what Teresa said, it was so shocking coming out of the mountains and hitting that weather that was 20 degrees warmer. Uh, yeah, this climate change or global warming or whatever you want to call it, I know people debate about it. I understand what some of the debate is, and <clears throat> but for me it's definitely uh, getting hotter here in Durham. Um, it's just like <laughs> it's insane to be outside here uh, a lot of days. To me, nature is just saying get out, closed for repairs. So that's what I'm trying to do is find some places a little more hospitable and hopefully let nature do her thing as much as she can, at least as far as I'm concerned, what I have power over. And Bud, our Bud, is just to tell you about the next podcast um, is Simplicity and Minimalism. We're going to talk a little bit about just what we've learned and expressed and some ideas that we might have about it um, and things that we don't know that we've we've talked about about simplifying leading a simple life and uh, what to do with all this stuff you know being more of a minimalist um, so yeah and we always welcome any stories you want to share we'd love to hear any movies that you thought we left out and why um, any questions you have and any suggestions if there's stuff that um, you are curious about an escaping society um, you know that we could talk about and try to explore and research um, we made one heck of a list of ideas that we're interested in so pretty good chance it's related to something we're already thinking about um, so thanks